I stopped dancing after we went to America and we won the World Hip Hop Championships. And I was like, mm, peaked, leaving it there. Do you know what? That's really weird. We've got so much in common. I stopped dancing after I won the World Hip Hop Championship as well. Shut <laughs> I, I just felt there was no more left for me to achieve. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Welcome to Oh Captain, My Captain. Uh, my name is Mark Olver and I am joined by the wonderful Ricky Masindo. How are you, Ricky? I am great, Mark. How is it going? Do you know what? I'm all right. Let's get straight into this. How have you felt since the Jimmy Carr episode went out? Because we were both buzzing when we recorded it. How does it feel having there, having basically Jimmy Carr as your careers advisor out in the world it was weird i mean obviously it was an honor but it was just funny to to hear him essentially be like listen ricky medicine or stand-up comedy (laughs) you need to cut the bs like it was just funny he had this way of saying stuff that would essentially make you think yeah i have kind of been chatting bs this whole time i need to really think about what i've just (laughs) yeah that's a very good point that is a very good have you have you told your parents about that episode have you kind of have you told them that uh jimmy carr's attitude towards this <laughs> well my tactic so far is i'm just gonna let everyone essentially listen to it as they come up because i don't want anyone to listen to them beforehand so i want them to come to me with their reactions first <laughs> <laughs> for the people who who haven't heard it basically uh we do an episode last week's episode was one of our um regular irregular features uh called the live uh, the reading list that's right i've forgotten the name of yeah. our regular <laughs> irregular feature the reading list with guest librarian jimmy carr uh basically we did it with nish kumar we did it with jimmy last week we're doing it with angela barnes soon uh, great comics giving us suggestions of things that they love that maybe they think new comedians should listen to that's the idea of that feature correct yep yeah that's a great idea it turned into with jimmy less of a librarian and more of a life mentor coming in and telling ricky how ricky should possibly think about his life and i suppose this is a really good time to talk about uh this podcast and and where we're going with this podcast because this is episode number eight um and I know what we're going to talk about, and we'll, we'll get onto that in a minute because this is kind of when we did the Abby Clark one, I was well out of my comfort zone. Um, so, what I've decided to do is do an episode where I could not be more in my comfort zone. We're basically we're building a little. Uh, actually, the Jimmy Carr one was out of my comfort zone because I was having a colonoscopy the next day. <laughs> We've had a couple where I haven't been in my comfort zone. So, today. We are we're basically we're going to talk about comparing straight in my comfort zone, something I do more of than possibly anyone else. <laughs> something that I've done, something that I've done so much since uh, I think I did my first ever comparing February 1999. So that's how long I've been. Wow. Um, but then what we're going to do, uh, we've got two more guests lined up for this series. Um, after today then we're going to have a break and and I think the thing I like about the break is that 
we will then have other stuff to talk about. And then we'll come back probably, I reckon, mid-May. I reckon we'll we'll be back in about a month's time. And then we'll have we'll do another 10. Um, that'll go through the summer. And then hopefully when gigs are back a hundred percent normally, we'll do another 10 in the autumn how did that works doesn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great because it also gives us some time to think about stuff and get everything in order and for stuff to happen and also it's great oh mate i am constantly thinking about stuff <laughs> i've got i've got a list of so i've got a list of people who want to do it yeah some, some comedians have been i've been talking to them and they were like oh we absolutely want to do that so we'll definitely have some amazing uh guest librarians for the reading list and i've also got some amazing ideas of particular subjects that i want to cover and i know that you'll have ideas that you want to cover yeah and this really the whole reason for this bit of this conversation because the final episode of this series we've got a special guest that's in two weeks' time, and we are doing, like, a any questions sort of thing. So the final episode will basically be me and a guest. I know who it is. I'm not saying it yet, just in case uh, he can't do it and I have to get someone else in, but I think he is up, um, and we'll be recording that soon. Um, but I want, I want you to think about questions topics that we have not yet covered and also the listener to message us with questions and things that maybe we haven't covered as well yeah it's a really good idea because also then we can get people to tweet us and message us any questions exactly and it's all about really this stage so the stage that you are in at the moment kind of maybe less than 30 gigs maybe been gigging for a year-ish so those those really first things, um, because the thing is, all comedians remember what that was like. You know, mm. all comedians have a memory of those first gig experiences stick with us forever and ever. Um, but for the end of this, I'm calling it a box set because <laughs> I'm showing my age. <laughs> but the end of this box set of uh oh captain my captain which will begin with episode one where we didn't have an, a name for it yeah and we'll go through uh robin morgan nathan caton uh jenny collier nish kumar finn taylor uh jimmy carr tanya moore angela barnes and then our special guest at the end um abby clark as well we can't forget i want to forget about abby clark because she made me feel so old on your birthday as well on my birthday as well can you believe it unbelievable so uh so yeah so that's the idea so uh start getting in your questions things that you would like to ask a professional quite famous comedian generic questions about what it's like doing stand-up advice for stand-up all that sort of stuff be as specific as you want and Ricky, you can be as specific as you want as well. That's kind of what this podcast is all about. Ah, you've opened the box. Now I'm going to get as specific as possible. Like, I have so many questions. Oh, open it, mate. Yeah, be as specific as you want. Um, apart from today. Don't be specific today. Because comparing is basically my specialist subject. And so I don't want you to ask specific questions just in case I end up looking like an idiot on my specific subjects. <laughs> don't worry. That's what editing's for, Mark. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, the editing you do, which is <laughs> when I'll probably end up looking like an idiot. <laughs> you got to. Um, 
tell me what you think about comparing. You've not done it yet. Very few people do when they when they are really new at stand up. Um, what do you think of it? Is it something that you want to try? Yeah, I mean, I guess it is. I mean, it definitely is. I, I guess it's one of those things that once I try it, I'll enjoy it because I've been told so many times how benefic- how beneficial it is for your act and all that stuff, like how comfortable you feel on stage. But I think it's just one of those things you just have to do. And I'm always so impressed when people manage to compare well because it always seems so difficult and there's so many things going on. Yeah, I think it really helps. We'll, we'll, we'll get into all of these conversations with Tanya uh, with Tanya Moore, who is a, a brilliant act, a brilliant person, but also a really good host and a really good compare. And we'll get into those subjects. And and the thing is, if I even start going into those subjects now, I will just keep talking <laughs> because uh, I'm a bit of a um, I'm a bit of a comparing nerd. Yeah. I think I'm a bit of a purist. I I can be a little bit uh, grumpy when I when I've seen it done badly. Oh, mad. Um, yeah, it's something that I sort of I realized the first time I did it that I was going to enjoy it. Yeah. Like as soon as I did it, I was like, this is my thing. Yeah. Um and a lot of people don't like to specialize in it because they feel like it it pigeonholes them. But actually the gap from comparing to doing TV warm-up is a tiny little jump, really. It is different, but it's a bit of a jump. Um, which we'll probably talk about with Tanya as well, because she's not done any warm-up. Um, but I have been for like 20 years pretty much obsessed with hosting, comparing audiences, getting them on the right side, getting them in the right position. Um, yeah, it's a bit of an obsession. But that's what's so crazy, like doing these podcasts. I had no idea that comparing was even a skill or hosting was even a skill. I just thought stand-ups could do it because they were stand-ups. But having these conversations has shown me that there's a whole world of this just out there. Yeah, and that's I think that's what uh Oh Captain My Captain should be about really. I I sort of I like it when I get feedback from uh comedian friends of mine who have listened and really like it. Um but I really want people to listen to it who have never done stand-up because I want I want this episode to be that type of episode where people go Oh, wow. I'd never done that before. So uh, we're going to talk to Tanya, who is absolutely amazing. And hopefully uh, we will prepare uh, Ricky Masindo and you, the noble listener, whoever you are, uh, we will prepare you for the world of comparing. And Ricky, I'll be honest with you, mate. I'll be totally honest with you. The name of this show really, really is relevant more today than any other day. Today is the day I am being the inspirational teacher. So, (laughs) what do we say, please? Oh, Captain, my Captain. No, don't sound so pissed off about it, mate. (laughs) Oh, Captain, my Captain. Yeah, sure, if you want. Oh, no, now just sarcastic. Okay, fine. How about this? Oh, Captain, my Captain. Okay, camper. Camper than I was expecting. But that's the one we'll <laughs> keep in the edit. Uh, this is Oh, Captain, my Captain with me, Mark Goldberg, Ricky Masindo, and here is our guest, the wonderful Tanya Moore. Uh, we are joined uh, for this episode of Captain, my Captain by the wonderful Tanya Moore. How are you, Tanya? Fantastic. I'm lying. It's a lockdown. I'm surviving. Well, so I'd like to be as totally honest as possible. And we do all of these Zooms. uh, So we do all these chats over Zoom. Cameras are on all the time. Ricky, 
who has gone home to his parents' house has dreadful Wi-Fi. Hey, blame my parents. <laughs> to make the audio better, we've all turned our cameras off, so we we can just do whatever we want now. So you didn't even have to get ready for us, Tanya. And now I'm gonna I'm stripping off as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> So I've got questions for you and I've got questions. I have got questions for you about the way you look. And, and I didn't realize this. So uh, you shaved your hair off, but you yes. used to have locks. Is that right? That's correct. So a lot of the work that some people have seen me do, I have hair in. So what was the, uh, what was the decision? Like what, what, what made you think, do you know what? I, I just want to, I just want to get rid of it. Well, first of all, it takes a minimum of four hours to wash and relock your hair. Okay. And no one's got time for that. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm a tomboy at the best of times. So the fact that it was taking long to do my hair felt really girly and it was getting on my nerves. And then the twisting also, if you twist over twist, you start to rip out your hair and then it never grows back. So you get these little broad patches, which is really sexy. <laughs> and then um, after that, I was just like, well... I had a lot of my hairstyles was very much falling to my face because I didn't like my face at all. So I always had like a fringe and all this different stuff. And I was like, Tan, it's about time you just get to you. Just, just learn your face, babes. It's the only one you've got. So I just shaved it and I just prayed I didn't have a big head. <laughs> <laughs> and are you happy with, you're happy with your head shape? Happy, yeah, I'm lucky because my dad's got a P-head, my brother's got a P-head. I shouldn't have been worried. I've got a P-head. That's what it is. <laughs> but Ricky, have you got sisters? Yeah, I've got two sisters and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> now I wish I could see your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the problem with turning the cameras off. Ricky, do you, because this is a big thing that, that white people, especially white men, uh, we are so uneducated into the world of black hair and black women's hair. Ricky, your house when you were growing up with two sisters, that just must have been like, hair all over the place right yeah i just thought that was normal like in the carpet and stuff so when i went to my first white friend's house i was like hey what's going on here people where's all their hair really yeah i thought it was just normal oh it was the other way around for me oh really what do you mean yeah like there was never you could never have hair on the floor at my house but then also afro hair doesn't molt the way uh, caucasian hair molts so when i go to my white friend's house and i'm seeing hair in the shower or in the uh, sea, yeah. or you don't have that in the black household. First of all, even if it did happen, you leave that bathroom dirty, that's a beating <laughs> on site, first of all. You can't, you can't, your mum's going to be like, I can smell the bathroom is washed, and she'll beat you, and then go and find out <laughs> if it is or not, right? That's on site. And then, um, yeah, I just don't see, because Afro hair, because it's short and curly, it doesn't clog up the drains the way Caucasian hair does, because it's their hair's long, isn't it? And then it gets stuck on the drains as it goes down. Ours just goes down. <laughs> I guess my sisters are just lazy. Yeah, well, what's your heritage? I'm Zimbabwean, so I was born in Zimbabwe, okay. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. All right, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're lazy, so... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'd like to retract my previous statement. Zimbabweans are known for being lazy. <laughs> I was going to try and make it nice, and I was like, no, no. Yeah, Mark said, be honest. Yeah, they're lazy, babes. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it is just true. There is just a Zimbabwean personality. Yeah. <laughs> What, Zimbabweans have got a reputation for being lazy? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say lazy. I mean, maybe other people would say lazy. But I guess it's kind of like laid back, chilled, slow, relaxed. It's hard to make them angry. Yeah. That kind of thing, you know, yeah. like relaxed. And in the Caribbean, it's the Bayesians that have that. They're lazy. They're laid back. They're slow. They're everything like Everything's just like, they take 10 minutes to just say yes. It's just all so slow. It's rubbish. 
Yeah. Well, no, I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely fine with that. I live in the West Country. Uh, West Country people are obviously the Beijing of the UK. We're just. A yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Facts. I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely fine. With, <laughs> I'm absolutely fine with that. Um, <laughs> and what's really interesting, so we're going to talk about comparing uh, yeah. today. And what I like about this is that Ricky's not met uh, Tanya before. And actually, I've only met you in real life once. Yeah. And what I notice about you straight away, and I don't know whether it's all comics, I don't know whether you're like this with everyone, but fuck me, you're so easy to talk to. Do you oh, think that's then. why you you enjoy comparing so much? Definitely. I think I'm, I definitely think. And, you know, when you say this, when I say the next statement, it's, it cancels out everything else and it shouldn't. But I definitely think I'm better at comparing than I am anything else because um, my background, just who I am as a person, I see things and I say it. And I, as you do more comedy, as the years go by, I now have the skill to make sure that I'm not offending people. We can keep it nice and, you know, nice and light. It makes the room nice and warm and sets the room up for whatever comes next. And I just feel very confident as a compare. Ricky, do you find that? Because lot, you, you've met lots of comics in real life, but also during this podcast. Like, does it confuse you that so many of them are just so easy to talk to yeah like i found it really interesting when i first started doing this podcast because i had no idea that there were different personalities of stand-up comedians i thought they were all the same like they're sociable stand-ups but then there's this like the quiet artist in the corner writing notes in their notepad <laughs> like there's a wide spectrum of people who do stand-up comedy but i think that's just because there's so many different types of humor like, there's so many different type of personalities as well. But what I find interesting is that there's some stand-up comedians who actually just really hate socialising with people. That's me. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Hi. Me. <laughs> Are you that as well, Tanya? Yeah, I think what it, for me is I don't like socialising in an environment that I work in because I feel like no one's taking me for me as the person. They just want the comic. And mm. I'm very much, if I'm not on stage, I'm no longer working. So that comic, she's left the building. Is You now have just got to deal with me. And there's 20,000% <laughs> less energy. There's there's a lot less punchlines because I'm just being myself now. I'm just talking. My, just uh, my uh, lodger and friend and owner of the Zoom that I chat on, Matt Ewins, describes me as the most social, antisocial person he's ever met or the, yes. social, or the most antisocial social person he's ever met. Like, and I think so many comics are like that. Like, yeah. we're really good at being social when we need to, but yeah. we're also really good at doing nothing. Yeah. That's, I think I was more sociable before I started doing comedy than I am now, definitely. <laughs> oh, has it broken you? you know, broken's the word, but it's definitely made me hate people. <laughs> uh, full disclosure cameras off i just spat out my drink then to <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, me disclosure. that is a round of applause tidy up my keyboard <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna basking my applause break at this point one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and and you and you just you know Ricky is is a young man. When when I told Tanya his age, uh, you nearly refused to do uh, the podcast. But <sighs> Ricky, you seem quite chatty. Like you seem like someone who, I mean, we've had Jimmy Carr on this uh, podcast, and although it freaks you out slightly, you didn't 
roll into a little ball, did you? Have, you? have you always been quite a chatty person? Yeah, I guess anyone who knows me would probably just say that I'm chatty. But I guess in reality, I'm quite a talkative person. Like, I like talking, but I also enjoy just being quiet. Like, I'm a sociable, antisocial person. That's why I like, I like podcasts, because I just enjoy listening to people talk sometimes. Like, I don't always want to be up and on and talking to people. And with the Jimmy podcast, I think I was just running on so much adrenaline that while we were talking during it, I didn't find it too daunting, I guess. And you're also running on adrenaline talking to Tanya Moore as well, mate. <laughs> of course, of course. I'm always running on adrenaline for all these podcasts. So, so Tanya, you've had an interesting journey. We'll get onto comparing properly in a minute, but you've had an interesting journey because you've done acting as well. So did the acting come before the stand-up? It did. Yes, it did. I've been doing acting since I was seven. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Went to my first drama class at seven. Went to my first dance class at three. Um, I stopped dancing after we went to America and we won the World Hip Hop Championships. And I was like, mm, peaked, leaving it there. <laughs> you know what? That's really weird. We've got so much in common. I stopped I stopped dancing after I won the World Hip Hop Championship as well. <laughs> I just... I just felt there was no more left for me to achieve. I can tell. Do you know what it was? When you came onto the Zoom, there was like a little wave in between your shoulders. And I was like, you're the dancer. Yeah. <laughs> you won the world, the world Hip-hop championships with me and my crew. There were five of us in the crew. It's the first time the UK won the world hip hop championships. Um, and then the group went back three years later, some uh, revised members and won it again for the second time, and no other group has been able to do that. Wow. That sounds like a film, like Step Up or something. It is a film, right? I'm writing a lot of films about my life at the moment. I'm just waiting for somebody to fucking commission them, babes. <laughs> <laughs> so what led, you to, what led you to stand up then? What made you want to do stand up? Well, I don't know if I wanted to. I, I, we won the World Cup Championships. I came home. They wanted me to do more dancing. I was like, guys, I've peaked. Leave me alone. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, one day, my friend, I, I, it was about six months after we won the Worlds, I was walking down the road with one of my friends, and um, this was in New Cross, and I was like, I want to get back on stage, I'm dying, I'm dying. At this point, I just started teaching dancing in Hertfordshire, actually, and we saw uh, New Cross Theatre was advertising a comedy course, and he was like, well, you're funny, just try it, see what happens. Now, here we are, I saw what happened. <laughs> and how long ago was that? that was, it'll be nine years in May. Oh, wow. And as soon as you did it, did you love it? I loved it. I actually went to see the course that happened before me. And they, you know, at the end of each course, you have a showcase, don't you? So the course that was before mine, they had a showcase. And I went to the showcase. And the person who inspired me the most was Athena Kablenu. She was there. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, she can do it. I can do it. And literally, that's how I am with my whole career. When I'm scared of something, I'm like, what's Athena doing? Oh, she can do it. I can do it. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, OK. I um, I did the warm up for the BBC comedy final that Athena was in, in whatever year that was, 2000 and. Uh, 2017 maybe yeah i would have thought so yeah so i've known athena since she and she is brilliant and we'll definitely get she's amazing yeah and she's got a new radio 4 series and yeah and she was the person that inspired you yeah she did into comedy yeah it inspired you because she was a black woman of a similar age doing comedy or just because you liked her like but all of it i liked her i like her stand-up i respect the way she views the world and how she presents it 
black lady, same age as me, from London. We have similar um, life experiences. And I was like, oh, so we can talk about it. Okay, cool. Awesome. Because mm. at that time, I was very scared of being the black lady who comes on stage and like ruins the mood because she's just going to be talking about stuff nobody can resonate with. But that's not the case. So what? So you, as a black woman of a certain age, had a mm. role model who was a black woman of a certain age. And Ricky, as a young black man, has an old fat Bristolian as his role model. It really. I mean, it's, it's, it's indicative of the times. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Ricky is also 22 and lives at home. So Ricky can have what he can deal with, okay? <laughs> Until you can pay your own bills, Ricky, you can't have a black world model. <laughs> you got to work for that, Melanin. You really, really you do. You got 100 more gigs, Ricky, before you start doing that. Calm down. <laughs> At 22 gigs, you just get Mark over. What a business. <laughs> you see, Ricky, this is why I'm your role model, because I won't you... tell you off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You won't tell me how it really is. Oh, yeah. No, I will. Uh, we've talked a lot. Jimmy Carr, no bullshit. Tanya Moore, no bullshit. Mark Holver, bullshit all the way. I will be. <laughs> yeah, you're great. You're great, Ricky. 22 gigs. Why don't you do live at the Apollo next? Terrible bullshit, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So when, so did you do... Uh, we had Nathan Caton on episode two, and we talked a little bit about uh, the Black Circuit in London. Uh, did you do the Black Circuit as well, or did you sort of... Did you just do every and any gig that you could find that when you started? Did both Black Circuit and, and the um, mainstream circuit. I struggle saying mainstream, but yeah, and the mainstream I circuit. I know, I don't get that. I don't... I mean... It's, it just goes I, to show, yeah. I mean, I hate going into it, because then you've got to go into a really dark place, but it just goes to show, doesn't it? Why can't it all just be one comedy scene and the audiences are different? Why can't it yeah. be a different type of audience? Why does the scene have to be different? Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I've done the black scene and I do the black scene, should I say, and I do mainstream. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. It's hard. It's yeah, hard. Do you know what? Very hard. I don't think I've got a problem with the black scene, the Asian scene. I think I've got a problem with all of those being described as something and then everything else being described as the mainstream. Like, yeah. that's the one yeah. I have a problem with, I think. Yeah, yeah. the sad yeah. thing is someone definitely decided to call it that because the white scene sounds so, so much worse. Yeah, yeah but, but also, the- let's face it, mate. Let's face it, the white scene sounds dreadful. Yeah. Imagine if you were going to plan a night out with your mates on a Saturday night and go, what are we going to do? Oh, we're going to go and see some white comedy. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a plate of Iceland food. I could it not, really does. I would not leave my house for that. <laughs> it just sounds like the worst evening out in the world. It and you, does. you know the food you're going to get at a white comedy night is just going to be fucking dreadful. Roast dinners all round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even then, the roast dinner's still bland. Yeah, gammon and chips. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, don't sleep on because it tastes really fucking nice with some baked beans. But I think that um, I'm really proud because at first, when I first came onto the scene, obviously it was easier for me to resonate on the black scene because we're just talking about things that we deal with every day. The, the skill had to come into play when I wanted to take the same stories onto a scene where people didn't understand where I was coming from. And I think that's where I feel proud of saying I'm a comic because you really have to use the, the um, uh, what, what do you call it again? My mind's gone blank. The craft in order to tell your jokes. And that's what differentiates you between being somebody who can only entertain people from their background or a comedian who can just entertain anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I like being a comedian who can entertain anybody. I like walking into any room 
And I don't care what you look like, where you come from. I've got a joke for you. Yeah, no, I 100%. I totally agree with that. The other thing as well is that I like it when I find out stuff that I don't already know. Like mm. that that black women spend literally hours on their hair. I yeah, did not, oh, yeah. know, <laughs> I did not yeah. know that. I knew that one. <laughs> and R- Ricky, have you... Because you do... I mean, you're, you're 20 gigs in. Do you feel the kind of... The things that Tanya is talking about, about kind of... Like, are there things that you wish you could talk about, about your family, about your upbringing, that maybe you feel you haven't been comfortable or experienced or ready to talk about yet? That's really interesting. See, I think for me, it's weird because I almost feel like there's not that many people who can identify with my experience specifically because I'm an immigrant who came to the UK young enough that I'm now pretty much indistinguishable from someone who was born here. But I also have ties to back home and I do a lot of African things as well. And I speak uh, like Shona, Mm. the language in Zimbabwe. But like at the same time, I went to a posh boarding school. So I have like kind of like a white person's accent. And like I like some posh things, I guess you'd say. So basically, I eat chicken with my hands, but I also love a match of rugby. (laughs) It's just strange because let's say if I was going to do one of those black gigs, I don't really identify 100% with a lot of what's being spoken about. But even then, like with a lot of what white people talk about or any of my white friends, I don't identify with a lot of that because of like my weird upbringing. Um, But it's like with the black stuff, I don't identify with the kind of London version of being black because I feel like that's Mm. kind of the mainstreamified version of black purely because... Uh, a lot of the black people in the UK are either from the Caribbean or they came from West Africa and stuff like that. So even being a Zimbabwean, it's very weird. Um, like, for example, I, I, I don't even like jollof rice. I mean, it's all right. But that, all- I'm just going to stop you, right? Fucking <laughs> Ricky. It's all right. I'm It'll put do. I'm going to on this, okay? Because Mark doesn't even realise how offensive you just were. <laughs> I didn't. I don't. You don't like jell-off. It's okay. I'm about to lose my shit. <laughs> See what I mean? It is a very touchy subject. And I'm Jamaican, you bloody shit. <laughs> <laughs> Go for him. Go for it, Tanya. He, jell-off is like a, um, one of the best rices that you will find in the continent of Africa. <laughs> and it's made with tomatoes and seasonings and all different kinds of wonderful things. Some people put meat in it, some people don't, but it's yeah. wonderful. I'm Caribbean, yeah. our rice, our go-to rice is rice and peas. But yeah. if you really do like rice, jollof rice is one of the best rices on the planet. Ricky just hasn't <laughs> lived enough life to know that yet, okay? <laughs> I love Mr. Private School. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen friendships end over like Ghanaian over Nigerian jollof. It's always only ever Ghanaian jollof. Nigerians are crazy. (laughs) See, there it is. It's a very heated debate. The jury is still out. It's only ever always Ghanaian jollof. Stop being silly. (laughs) Vicky, I thought I came here to make a friend. I do really want to try some Nigerian jollof rice now. I really you do. really, Mark, you'll be fighting it. You'll be going down your throat having I a I thought we had peaked on this podcast when we had the <laughs> conversation with uh, Nathan Caton about how to pronounce plantain. Oh! Um, 
Also, it's planting. What's this plantain <laughs> behavior? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Nathan was all about the planting, was all about the planting. Yeah, it's planting because we're Caribbean. These bloody Africans and their fucking loose tongues. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a stereotype. <laughs> Mark, what are you doing here? You're starting race wars. <laughs> I can't help it. An important part of any compare toolkit is starting race wars. <laughs> What can I say? I can't get the empire out of my blood. Yes, come on, Mark. I can't help it. It's literally centuries. That is brilliant. Divide and conquer. That's how we've always done it. Who knew it was going to be rice? Uh, who knew it was going to be right? But Ricky, what's interesting about this? And I and racists always go on. Oh, there's too much like there's too much cultural mixing in this country. And I'm like, mm. no, there's not enough cultural mixing in this country. Yeah. That's where the fun stuff happens. That's yeah. where the fun food happens and the fun comedy and the fun dance and music. Like yeah. when everyone, and like there isn't just one black British experience. No. In no the yeah. same way that there's just not one British experience. And so it's nice to be able to have an argument about, People liking or not liking Joloff Rice. <laughs> what I find about comedy, and because I'm obsessed with comedy, always have been, is that every time something feels a bit tricky or a bit different or a bit weird, it's easier to write funny about that than yeah. it is being good and brilliant. Mm. And so, Ricky, being how old were you when you came from Zimbabwe, Ricky? Seven. Yeah, seven. I turned eight, like literally as I came. Like, but you also you you moved you moved to like Bedfordshire, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess a lot of people when they move to the UK, they usually choose London just because it's a place they know and it's a place you can get like reasonably cheap housing. But for some reason, my mum chose Bedford, and uh, because of that, it's like um, I've always been kind of separate from kind of the I guess the TV version of black that you kind of see. Um, mm. Like I've never really gotten the slang like ever like, like since I came to uni, I've learned a lot of like London black slang because that's literally um, always been so separate from me because I've always had my own thing going on. Yeah, like people sometimes make fun of me for not acting black enough, but I've actually been to Africa and I was born there. Like even my girlfriend, like when we first met, she used to say stuff that I used to be like, oh, yeah, that's definitely stuff that me as a black person in the UK understands. <laughs> <laughs> Is your girlfriend black? Yeah, she is. Yeah, she oh, is. She's at... It would have been so funny if she was white and knew more than you. That would have just made my fucking day. <laughs> oh, I hope I'm not. Would that have bad. made my absolute day. I <laughs> uh, wouldn't be surprised to be honest. Brilliant. Yeah, if he's just started dating Adele, would have made my day. Would have made my day. <laughs> so, does your does your girlfriend take the piss out of you? Ah, uh, she does a bit, but I hide my ignorance quite well. But after she hears this, she'll be like, "Ah, you shit fucker, you don't know anything." <laughs> <laughs> She knows that. I love that you went straight to shit fucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's our pet name for each other. That's funny. <laughs> and it is, but that's the thing, isn't it? Like that idea going and going on talking to a white audience or, to, or talking to any audience about that is funny. You like it doesn't just have to be a particular type of audience because funny is funny. And what is really funny is the idea that. Ricky's black girlfriend is more street than Ricky. Like, that is funny. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, she's not even that street. <laughs> it definitely says more about 
me than her. But the thing is, like, she was raised in London and she was, she lives in Croydon. And I think I'm, people think like Croydon is like a really rough area and stuff like that. And I make fun of her pretending like she lives in like ends and like I could talk about going to her yard and stuff. But in reality, she lives in like this really suburban area. It's just like, but there'll be sometimes when like when she's playing music, like my type of music is more like American hip hop rappers, but she'll play some Afro beats and I'll be like, yes, this is definitely music mm. that I as a black person in the UK have heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Penting called Madison. Ricky, you are a mess. <laughs> <laughs> sort your shit out, Ricky. You are a whole fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, I mean, this is a whole new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tanya, my Tanya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tanya Moore teaches <laughs> teaches Ricky how to oh, be. Oh Lord, I can't <laughs> deal with this guy. So when you when you moved over here, Bedfordshire, mm-hmm. where in Bedfordshire did you go? Was it actually Bedford? Yeah, Bedford. Yeah, so I went to okay. Bedford School. Okay, wow. And you live in Bedford now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my family live in Bedford, like just outside of Bedford Town Centre. So, okay. Yeah. In a very wow. white neighbourhood now, too. Now that I think. About no it. way. I could never tell. <laughs> you can take the man out of the streets but you can't take the streets out of the man have you got black friends ricky <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i do that is so funny <laughs> that is all mark doesn't even know why that's so funny i <laughs> do you know what i genuinely don't i genuinely <laughs> It was meant to lead on to another conversation. And I was like, oh, God, they laughed too much of that. What have I... I want to see your face, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because most people in Ricky's position normally don't. And so that question is normally posed by the black community all the time. Do you have black friends? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's not, it's, trust me, if you're asked that question, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm ever in a cafe and I'm hearing yeah. at a table near me someone say, "Have you got any black friends?" to a black person, yeah. I should just like usher that person out. Should just I just be like, yes. just be like, oh yeah. shit, bro, you're, you're failing. <laughs> oh, here we go. You're failing. If you have to be asked if you have any black friends, baby boy, that's too much. Yeah, there's no good way to answer it without looking like I don't have black friends. Like I can either say no or say, yeah, I've got Nathan, I've got Tanya, like my dentist is black. What am I meant to say? But also when you deep it, it's like, why did you have to ask? What about me? Did you have to ask this question? Exactly, yeah. You should look at me and assume, damn it. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. But I mean, I guess the genuine answer is yes. But all of them came from like outside of school, like when I used to do martial arts as a kid and I made a few black friends since I've come to uni, but none of my close friends are black. But that's just because of the school I went to. I mean, you've heard my stand up, like the joke I've said loads of times, like I went to a school where I was half the black people. Like That was just the way that my school was. And actually, uh, the actual bit is that because you were quite a fat kid, you were more than half yeah. the black people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. By mass. But I, I, I resonate with being I went when I went to school my mum sent me away as well um and not boarding school but I traveled from New Cross and I had to go to Kent to go to school and I was the only black girl in my class whilst Will there were, yeah wow. whilst there were a few more in the year I was the only one in my class 
there was one, well, I say that. So I was the only black girl. There was a black boy who was very Ricky-esque. We'll leave it there. And um, there was a mixed race boy. And then that was it. Um, And that was my class. So I think my saving grace is being that I was born and raised and, and, and was still in New Cross. So I wasn't in a, in a predominantly white area and then going to predominantly white school. I still went home and got my injection of blackness and then went to school and I was mm. like, you lot are weird. This is crazy. Do you think that made you like a funnier person? Do you think that had any influence on that? I don't know if that's made me funnier because um, I think I'm funny because I'm an arsehole because I'm like my dad. But I think that it's made me, it's meant that I can walk into different rooms and not have the same reaction as your average black person because they wouldn't have seen certain things that I know I've seen. Some things that, you know, certain behaviours, I understand where it comes from. So it's not always straight to they're racist or they're this. It's like, no, they simply just Mm. don't understand. They've just got to tell them. That's it. It's (laughs) it's just an ignorance. And it's not even a negative ignorance. It's literally, they just don't know because they're not us. They don't understand our lives. So you can explain things more. You can look at things from with a wider mind and be able to resonate with a lot more people as a result of being in that in that moment and at first when my mum sent me there I thought she hated me and wanted to kill me because I was like lady if somebody here beats me up I've got to travel 45 minutes but I can even fucking come and get you but um it's one of the best decisions she did and I'm glad she did it uh, this whole thing is about uh about stand-up and today's episode is about comparing and, and one of the, the reasons that we did this in and Tanya grew up in London, but you'll understand that in Bristol, in Newcastle, in Birmingham, in Liverpool, in all these places that are quite diverse cities, there aren't enough young black and young Asian people starting to do stand-up. So, yeah. Ricky, when you do a gig in Bristol, like when you've done one of the open mic gigs in Bristol, you tend to have been the only black guy on, right? Oh, yeah, the only black person in the room, yeah, most of the time, yeah. But did you know, and I imagine, Tanya, this has happened to you, that if you do a black gig, there will be lots of other black people on. But, Tanya, when you've done a circuit gig, I'm guessing they don't book many other black comics and many other female comics. I mean, that's my... My black and uh, female friends will tell me that they never see each other when they're out gigging. Yeah. But that's true, isn't it? That's the way promotion No, it is. It is. Um, I I think it's it's sad that on the mainstream, if I go to a gig, it's shocking if I see a Nathan Caton or any other person who's black. And you'll see it when we walk into the room, like, oh, my God, you're here as well. It's really bad, but that's what happens. Um. And then if I see another woman, it's a similar kind of thing. Oh, my God, they were both of us. Wait, is, are you meant to be here? Am I meant to be here? Have we got our dates wrong? Do you know what I mean? It's very, it's funny at the time, but it's sad that we have to do that. And it's a real thing. And I think once we start getting past skin tone and just looking at talent, we won't have to worry about those things anymore. Just book people based on talent. Can they do the job? Done. That's so interesting because in a way then, having a black circuit is both somehow a good thing and a bad thing yeah because it's a good thing because if you're a black person it means you can get a lot of stage time and practice but it's a bad thing because it means if you have like three people on a bill it'll make your gig look like a black gig and might not attract the type of audience you're trying to attract correction it will be seen as a black gig (laughs) (laughs) fair enough (laughs) i mean i have it i run my own gig i only do it about four times a year it's called more laughter and whilst the audience is predominantly black, that's mostly because I'm from South London and I hold it as close to South London as possible. Um, 
it for me I just have a general lineup I just think about who can entertain this audience that I know are coming for a particular brand of comedy um mm. and so I just book anybody because it's just a comedy night right and if you're funny you're funny done but mm. when I talk about putting it into certain spaces, they're like, oh, is it a black comedy night or is it a comedy night? And I'm like, lady, it's just a comedy night. Keep your racism out of it. The fuck? <laughs> because if it's wow. a black comedy night, what they will do, and I've seen this happen, is they'll get extra security or they'll make sure that there's a one-way system. Or, yeah, it's all these wild things because black people can't behave, apparently. And they'll make <laughs> sure that, yeah, it's, all, it's weird. They just do all these extra things if they think black people are about to come there. But let me just... Mm, that's so tragic. Like, it's so weird how that even happens. I mean, I guess it's like, it's weird. Like, what even is a circuit? Like, is a circuit just a bunch of promoters just booking certain types of acts and then those acts just only doing certain types of gigs? Like, how does it even work? Like, how do you actually make it so that they're two separate things? Basically, Ricky wants to know how he gets those gigs. I mean, yeah. I, I got that. Yeah, I was like, is he fishing or not? Um, I, <laughs> it's definitely the former. Particular types of promoters book particular types of gigs and, and, and book particular types of lineups. And it is purely for the fact that we, we don't get seen enough. We don't get stage time enough. So we don't get to practice as much as you know your average white comedian um even on the black scene there there used to be an open mic night but there isn't anymore um scratch that there is there's one in, in Stratton run by junior booker but there's one open mic night so when you're doing a black gig you're straight to show you're straight to the theater you're straight to indigo too there's no open mic for two three years work on your craft it's babes are you funny or not do you want the gig? And so on the black wow. scene, instead of being known as a newcomer, you're known as a type of comedian. So if you're a newcomer, you're a 50 pound comedian, which means that you'll do the big gigs, but you only get 50 quid and you get five to 10 minutes and that's it. Then you become mm. the opener, you become the middle act. The middle act, you can, depending on the venue and the amount of audience, you can go from 100 to 250. Then you've got your opener, again, venue, audience, 250 up, your headliner. Sometimes headliners are walking out of the venue with 2,000 pounds. Again, depending on the size of the venue. Yeah, it really just, on the black scene, you can make lots of money. You just can't grow a career because the industry doesn't recognise it as an actual thing. So if you want to have a career in this game, you've got to do the mainstream as well so you can have a career. And that's why you do other gigs, and that's why Judy Love has yeah. got other gigs, and and then you can break through that way and that's that's the game ricky you've got a whole life ahead of you it's a good thing you've only just been born two weeks ago isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so excited how do you uh how do you find with comparing when you first started so you 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 did the course you saw athena then you did the course then obviously you did your show uh as part of the stand-up comedy course and then went out into the world a little bit when did you discover hosting and comparing? I did that before I did comedy, actually. Did because you? Yeah, so I used to teach dance here in, Hart um, in Hertfordshire. And at the end of the year, we used to have um, shows where we could showcase what we've been doing for the year, get other dance companies in and stuff. And I would always host those shows. And it was only from hosting those shows that I was like, no, I'm actually funny. People are laughing at me. I thought I was just a dickhead. I'm actually funny. And then I was hosting those shows for four years and then I saw the comedy course and then I was like, okay, let's do this. Hosting's a thing. Let's get paid for it. And the, the first gigs that you were hosting sort of regularly, were they kind of, were they black gigs or were they, we need to think of another term. No, they're, they're mainstream gigs. They were open mic nights and mainstream nights. Yeah. 
and people just enjoying how did that feel going into like from because i think from hosting yeah into into comparing a slightly different thing uh, we'll get onto tv warm-up uh in a bit but tv warm-up is a bit different as well tv warm-up is yeah. a little bit more like the hosty thing how did it feel like comparing it's 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 you're definitely right it is different i think for comparing i had to learn the craft of it um the timing of it because that's definitely different to stand up and hosting and just the professionalism of it, I think, because with hosting, you can go on. And I think, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Mark, for me, when you're hosting, there's a lot more of you just talking like you're at a friend's house. When you're comparing, there's a lot more structure to what you're doing. Yeah, a hundred percent. I always say when I do warm up or when I host other sorts of events, what I say is I'm there to do a job. Mm. And the way that I do that job is to use my skills as a comedian to do that job. So I'm not being a comedian. I'm being a host, yes. but I'm using my skills. So I've got a bit about, I've got like, I've done so much warm up and so much stuff. Now I've got bits about, you know, where to put your coats, making sure your phones are off, where the fire exits are. Like mm. I've got bits about that, that are jobs and bits of admin that need to be done, but I've got funny ways to do them. Yes. So that's, so I can, I can, that helps me uh, do the job because I'm funny. And actually, yes. if I went teaching again, I, I during the first lockdown, I worked in a care home for a bit. And the fact that I was able to to talk and, and do little bits and pieces with all these lovely little old dears is because I've got those comic skills. Mm. I wasn't being a stand-up, but no. I was using those skills to do it. Whereas comparing, you still want most of the time your laugh rate to be the same as it was if you were doing a set. Yes. You know, you still want every 30 seconds, every minute, funny, 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 funny. Yeah. Sometimes you can, if you do a big festival gig. Yeah. I remember years, Andrew Bird uh, tells a story about me comparing for him at V-Fest Chelmsford. Wow. And Eddie <laughs> Izzard had just been on. And Andrew Bird was going on after Eddie Izzard. There were 9,000 people watching Eddie Izzard. And when he finished, they all left. No. And I wasn't going to let Birdie go on until everyone had left. So I wanted to reset the room yeah. from 9,000 to 150. Oh. And as I was resetting it, a bloke shouted out, do some comedy. And Birdie, Birdie tells people this story. And I can't even remember doing it. I sort of remember the, the moment. And uh, this bloke went, you're not funny, do some comedy. And I was like, mate, I'll do some comedy in a minute. At the moment, I'm doing some admin, all right? Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that's such a good comeback. I love that so much. And that's what you have to do. Uh, Martin Bigtig told me when I started doing those big festival gigs, he said, don't, between every act, people will leave and come in. Like, it's just, that's what happens at festivals. They leave, they come in. So rather than just spunk your material mm. over their heads because they're not listening to it, find funny ways of getting them in and out of the room. Find mm. funny ways of... Uh, of have you done those festival gigs, Tanya? I have, yeah. And I've hosted a few of them, actually. And I think they're tricky, that, obviously, aren't they? not, not as big as V-Fest, but they are tricky but I think I feel comfortable in staying in the room. And when yes. I, yeah, when I say that, Ricky, what I mean is 
nothing happens without me seeing it or mentioning it. So I, I love the, I'll do comedy in a minute. At the moment I'm doing admin, just wait. That's so funny that you have to be there to experience it. And so those audience members will now respect you because it's like, oh, okay, well, he is funny because that was funny. Let's let him do mm. the admin. And then I'll listen to him a little bit more when he's doing the funny, which allows you to then control the room a little bit more. I think if you stay in the room, you can't, you can't lose. You can't. And nothing's funnier than something we're all experiencing together. Because if that happened to me mm. and I said, I'm not doing comedy right now, I'm doing admin, I would have done the admin, come back to it and been like, right, mate, ready for the fucking comedy? And I would have been straight in with it. I would have gone back to it. It's a thing. We're all in the room. It happened to all of us. It's a thing. Don't ignore things. A sound, mm. don't ignore the sound. Anything. Just unless obviously you're on a train and it will ruin your train, don't <laughs> ignore it. Tanya is mm. Tanya's hundred percent right. And it's so funny because I say that to people all the time. And and this is like episode eight of this podcast. And it's funny we've not reached this point. Is that I think one of the things that makes me good at my job, but also possibly one of the things that has held me back from uh, headlining some gigs or whatever is that I am always in the room, like right. very much like you. I I spot everything, body language. Yeah, I spot. You know, some of those great comics are able to take themselves out of the room, so nothing else affects their performance. Yes, and they they bang through their gold, and and they're absolutely brilliant. The times that I've died on my ass a bit, the times that I've struggled a bit, is because that clock ticking does annoy me. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or those, or that person, that person down the front who looks pissed off that no one else can see because everyone else is enjoying it. Yeah. That's the person that gets in my head. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think it depends on how you bring it up now, though, because I think I'm having in, I've, I've, it's only the last two years I've really noticed me doing it especially on the Zooms, it's great on the Zooms. But what's happened for me now is when I do notice that person, I'll wait for the laughter to die down. I'll be like, guys, now I'm going to say something to you and it's all going to be about my ego, but just go with it, right? You lot are having a great time. 99% of you, I am smashing the shit out of this gig. That bitch has not laughed since I got up on this stage, <laughs> right? Now my mission is to make her laugh. I'm going to leave her feeling very fucking unfunny. <laughs> and that normally loosens the person up yes. or if they're steadfast they're going to be straight faced the whole way and if they've straight faced the whole way they now become the butt of my jokes mm. so if everyone's laughing if, if we move on and I, when i say the butt of my jokes not in a mean way but when, when we, once we move on if i say something and everyone's laughing i'd be like guys listen seriously someone talked to her in the break she's getting it all wrong i'm fucking hilarious <laughs> She's not getting it. It's not reaching. I, I'm, I've tried everything here and I just keep going. And when I talk about that, I literally, what I do on purpose, I go next to them. Then I turn my back away from them. And then I whisper into the mic like she's not supposed to hear. But we all know she can hear me. <laughs> she can hear me. It's fine. <laughs> but these are little tactics that I use because what I can't do as a host or a compo when I'm on stage is have an internal fight because the audience will see and feel that. So I have to bring it up. Mm. But for me, and I had this moment uh when i started doing what i've been doing warm-up for over 15 years and, and i had this moment where i realized if i tell the audience and this is the truth it's not bullshit if i tell the audience that i am here for them yeah. i want them to look amazing on tv i want them uh... to enjoy the show as much as possible but also 
I want when the camera finds them, I say it to them. I went, look, the fact of the matter is, if everyone is acting like a bellend, the one person on telly who ends up looking like a bellend is the one person not acting like a bellend. So just act like a bellend. <laughs> yeah. like, I want to make sure that your friends, when this show goes out, they don't text you going, I saw you on Britain's Got Talent. What is wrong with your face? Yes. Like, <laughs> but comparing is exactly the same. I'm always like, especially at Christmassy type gigs or, or corporate gigs or whatever, I'm always like, look, We've done this before. We know that we are funny. We know that you will have an amazing night. Just listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> Do what we tell you to, and yeah. you will have a brilliant, brilliant night. So I try and make it like when I'm compare or doing warm up, I always see myself as the bridge between the audience and the show. Yes. And mm. I am a comic, and I, and Ricky, uh, people will tell you this, but the. The thing that punters do a lot is at the end of a show when you're comparing, <laughs> might come up to you and go, "Have you ever uh, thought about doing comedy like that?" <laughs> uh, what's so funny is they think they're telling you something you've never heard or considered. Yeah. <laughs> you should uh, you should be one of them. You know, you should yeah. be one. Of them. <laughs> you, you were the funniest tonight. You you were the funniest tonight. <laughs> That's the one that kills me. Fucking hell. <laughs> Uh, and, and it's not even that I was the funniest tonight. It's just that I mentioned everything that you were thinking of. That's yes. what happened. I stayed in the room with you. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I am. I am. I'm their buddy. Do you know what yes. I mean? So mm. If someone is heckling, I am not taking offence at that for me. I'm taking offence because everyone else has paid 10, 15, 20 quid to be there. Yeah. And I'm like... Give me a cheer if you paid to be here tonight. Give me a cheer if you paid to listen to the comedians. Give me a cheer if you paid to listen to that drunk fuckwit chap. Yes. Yeah, I like that. I love that (laughs) we've all got different ways of handling it. I love this conversation. Yeah, no, it's it's fun, isn't it? It's fun. Because what I do to keep them in the room is I say, I say, look, guys, we've all had a lot of fun, but this is how it goes. This is how a night really, really goes. If you have energy will have energy and then we'll all have a good night deal Ab- absolutely ricky does this make this conversation does it make you want to compare more or less <laughs> <laughs> more more definitely like it sounds like a lot of fun it sounds really complicated and hard but like a lot of fun but just to be clear a host and a compare aren't the same thing but like what are the actual differences between the two so uh, uh, traditionally a compare will be just a normal night of comedy so the nights that you've done for me in bristol the nights that you will see at live at the apollo for instance on the telly mm. if you've got uh if you've got one comic comparing with two three ten fifteen they are the compare okay mm. yeah a host it's it's a little bit more i don't know what the word would be doesn't always have to be straight stand-up. Doesn't always have to be a stand-up gig. Like, it can be... Like, I've hosted singles nights for over 35 people. Yes. You know, I've done... Uh, Sip and paints and bingo. Exactly. I've and... done charity auctions and stuff Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Okay. I see. That makes sense. That it's makes a lot sense. less. I think hosting is a bit more personal and comparing is a bit more professional, if, if you could put it in a simple term. Ah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, thanks. Let me ask you this, because uh, we're nearly done. And we, we talked a lot about comparing. Uh, we talked a lot about rice. Um, I nearly started yeah. a race war, but we're fine. <laughs> 
and this is something that I wasn't going to ask you because I didn't realise it, but you used to be a dancer, probably yes. still are a dancer. You, you could never take the dance out, out of me, someone, right? No. How important do you think physicality is on stage? Like, do you find when you do stand-up, are you still doing stand-up sometime with a little dancer's brain in you? Definitely. I think that, yeah. I think it lends to my delivery and my, my, my beat pattern, for sure. I think um, it definitely lends to me being able to be quick on my feet um, and not even just physically. I mean, even mentally, because, you know, when you learn routines, you have to always be revising. And sometimes they just change routines at the last minute. These are things that always have to happen. You're always on the edge. You're always in a position where you have to adjust quickly. Um, I think that. I used to think that there was power in standing still in a room. And I still think there is power in standing still. The bigger the room, the more still I try to stay because I want them to mm. know I'm commanding it. But there's certain jokes where you definitely have to give physicality if you want that, that punchline to hit as close to level 10 as possible, for sure. Mm. And also your posture, like just yes. Yes. holding yourself in a way. Yeah, my shoulders are back, so there's no slouch. You'll never see me come on stage and think oh she's a little bit unconfident never ever ever I come on stage and from the moment I think you can see me I'm like hey guys straight away I'm not even at the mic yet I'm like hey what's going on then I get to so the mic, I'm, like, I'm gonna yeah. throw this out and I, I, this is the first time I've ever said this out loud but I've yeah. thought about it loud. here we go <laughs> <laughs> you know those uh those tubes in London where it's not like carriage upon carriage. There are certain lines on there. Is it the district line where the train is just one long train? So you can look all the way down the tube. Oh, the um, the oh, yeah. um, the East London lines. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And there's a couple as well. I think maybe Hammersmith and City. I think I've been on. Oh that yeah, the yeah through. those ones. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they they're do. not different carriages. And there's no I've door. Always, I've always had this idea to give this advice to a comic, to a new comic, about. When it's not very busy, and it won't be busy at all at the moment. <laughs> I'm not telling people to do stand-up, by the way. Don't worry. <laughs> but do you know what I think is really good for a new comic is to stand on that train without holding on to anything mm. and just for your balance, just for your posture, just yeah. for yeah. moving. Because yeah. some people are so stiff on a stage, mm. whereas... If you can stand on a tube for 10 minutes or so and just feel the train go with you, you're mm. like, that's the vibe that I want a confident person to have on stage. Oh, I didn't think about that. I've never thought, I've never said it out loud before, but I've thought of it loads on the tube. That's so interesting. I mean, I do that anyway on the tube because I'm obsessed with making sure that my core is always intact because I think once your core is intact, you can really use your body. Because it's a confidence game, right? Yes. Yes, it is. It is. It's the same as like the mindset for me is walking into a room with a hundred people that don't look like you and still wanting to be the center of attention. Mm, wow. Yeah. Ever since I watched Bring the Pain, like Chris Rock, I have been walking on stage way too much. I just move so much. I can't help it. Like I, I almost find like smaller stages really restrictive. Mm. Like it's so hard to just stay still because I have so much energy and I'm so excited. And I just want to move around and say, hello, everyone. Hi. Yeah. And I learned this. I learned this from Mr. C. Do you know Mr. C, Mark? I don't know him. No, I know the name. Yeah. He I, when I first came to comedy, he was like my mentor. 
And there's a handful of things he said to me that I will never, ever lose. One, when you're going on stage, don't think about going on stage. Picture yourself walking into your best friend's house and everyone in the audience is your best friend. That way you'll be at your most calmest level, the most you you can be and you can deliver your comedy. The moment you're backstage and you put in front of you, there's a stage, there's strangers. I have to be a comedian. You're putting pressure on top of yourself. And the more you go farther and further away from being your actual self. That's number one. Mm. Uh, Number two is once you do that, once you're on stage and you're in your best friend's living room, you'll realise you only move when you have to. Don't move if you don't have to. Don't make a movement that's unnecessary because the audience will just Mm. follow you and be like, why is he moving? Once they start doing stuff where they have to start questioning themselves in their own heads, they're no longer listening to you. Mm. So Mm. you move with purpose. So if the joke requires movement, move. Make it all the movement it needs to be. But the moment the joke doesn't require movement, stay still. Come on in the room. I didn't even know this was a layer of the performance. I genuinely, and I think, Tanya, probably you're the same, I genuinely feel more comfortable on stage than I do in most other places because it's where I've been more than most other places. Yes, I definitely feel comfortable on a stage in front of, like I have hosted Indigo 2 five times and that room is, yeah, it's just over 2,000 people. I feel way more comfortable (laughs) there than I would do meeting a boyfriend's mom. Wow. Oh, mate, do you know what I'm not a fan of? dinner parties oh get me away oh my god surely both of you would be a massive thrill at a dinner party no 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 no. put put me on stage with with 10 20 2000 people i'm absolutely fine put me around a round table where people people i don't know very well yeah 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 dinner parties suck that feels uh like the perfect way to finish because we've got a sense of symmetry because this conversation started with us talking about being the most antisocial social people in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tanya, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I enjoyed we'll have a this. word with Ricky about uh, Jollof rice, don't you? Want Please that? do. <laughs> we'll do that off off cast. <laughs> Man. I'll be honest, I'll meet you, Ricky, and on site, you deserve one slap. And then after that, I'll hug you. <laughs> I'll let you, to be fair. <laughs> we'll go, hey, we'll get Tanya in, we'll get Tanya in Bristol, we'll go to Rice and Things, we'll go to a couple of other places, uh, and we'll get Ricky. <laughs> I can't believe we'll educate Ricky into <laughs> Afri- Yeah, we'll, we'll see yes! what we can do. Yeah, thanks a lot. Captain, um, Tanya, take care, buddy, and we will. Uh, oh, Captain, we'll my Captain. Thank you. <laughs> bye, bye. Oh, thanks, Captain, bye. my Captain. Uh, that was Oh, Captain, my Captain. Thank you very much for uh, listening. I hope you found it useful. Um, I think you all know uh, what I'm going to say now, but uh, one of the things when you do podcasts is that uh, basically it, it, we want more people to listen to it because we think it's quite useful. Uh, Ricky, people can listen to it. I'm, I know they can listen to it on Spotify, and I listen to it myself to hear my own voice on Pocket Cast. Where else can people listen in? Well, you can listen in at Apple Podcasts. You can listen in at Breaker. Pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, really. You can also listen to it at Google Podcasts, which I did not know existed until I started doing this. 
But just type in podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts, it'll be there. And to help us um, on all of those sites, there are ways to subscribe and to review and say nice things, correct? Yeah. Or unnice things. I mean, <laughs> any attention is good attention on the internet. But yeah, best place to leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Just go to our page, scroll to the bottom and leave us a star rating. Tell us what you think. Tell us if you have anything you think we need to improve on. And follow us on Twitter at OhCatMyCatPod and subscribe to us on Spotify. Basically, follow us everywhere, except in person, because that wouldn't be good. I mean, unless you're a massive fan. And uh, sending questions if you've got oh, questions, Captain, topics that you want us to talk about. Uh, re, uh, sort of refer oh, us and recommend us to your friends. And I think oh, that is the end of this bit Captain. of the podcast, correct? Yes, it is. It really, really oh, Captain, is. My Captain.